Hello and welcome back to another episode or hangout of In the Beginning Was the Word. Today I am joined by Maximum Autismius, a good friend of mine. His name is Jaron Mellerud and he is a known name within crypto, I would say. It seems like that to me at least. And his uh, expertise uh, has uh, probably been... Uh, taken well up by a lot of different people. So uh, hello, Jaron. Hello, Nilsson. Thanks for having me on your podcast. You're so welcome. I guess I should say thank you for joining my podcast. My podcast is a bit small. I get like a hundred listens every episode, but it's still funny. And uh, the material is a bit schizo and whatever, so I can't really expect thousands of normies to be tuning in every weekend <laughs> yeah that's true <clears throat> but anyway uh you're here today because you know a bunch of stuff about crypto that i don't know i would assume and uh you wanted me to like get some questions and that's what i wanted to do as well i wanted this to be baseline revolved around crypto itself like some of the principles around it and why you believe in it or why you work uh, within the field of crypto and specifically bitcoin and then <clears throat> i'll probably schizo some things along the way uh, if you're down for that <clears throat> yeah sure cool okay so first of all like i just keep it really simple here what is Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin, as you all know, is a cryptocurrency. It's the biggest cryptocurrency. Um, it's a decentralized digital monetary system with its own currency. Both the monetary system and the currency are called Bitcoin. It's uh, the first form of engineered money in history. And it was, uh, or at least it seems like it was specifically designed to emulate the properties of gold uh, to create a sort of a digital gold. And um, yeah, many, many Bitcoin proponents uh, often tout Bitcoin as digital gold. Um, Bitcoin removes the need for third parties in financial transactions. So you can actually, like me and Nils, we can send each other uh, Bitcoin uh, without it going through a bank or another uh, institution. So it's truly peer-to-peer and it achieves that by a quite complex, but at the same time, uh, relatively simple um, system, which consists of several technologies, uh, which I can explain later. Uh, it's probably a bit too much to explain it in a good way in this podcast episode, but because it's... It's quite a, a complicated system, as, as I said, but um, uh, I can I can explain some of the um, main properties of it. So I can first uh, explain why many people call Bitcoin digital gold. Uh, gold uh, has historically emerged through the free market as the preferred form of money in all societies where it was accessible. So. In, uh, in different parts of the world, everywhere where there was access to gold, they started using gold as money. Um, and that tells us that gold was the 
it's, it's the best form of money uh, humankind has seen on, um, until Bitcoin. So the properties of gold, making it a highly desirable money, is that it's scarce. You can't, it's really difficult to produce gold. It's really expensive to produce gold. At the same time, it's really expensive to produce Bitcoin. It's, uh, you can divide gold into many pieces and thereby use it for transactions of various sizes. In the same way, you can, one Bitcoin can be divided into 100 million pieces. Each piece is called one Satoshi. So highly divisible. Uh, Bitcoin is uh, similar to gold. Bitcoin is very portable. Um, gold uh, is very, very valuable. Then uh, it's, it's a very heavy material. For example, one kilo of gold, a gold bar of one kilo, carries a, a very, very high value uh, in monetary value. So you can you can carry with you or transport this value over dif distances. Uh, very easily with gold. Bitcoin, of course, since it's on the internet, has a much better portability than gold. You can have and send the Bitcoin from here from Norway to Australia or Africa or South America or wherever in the world uh, very, very easily. And gold is also a, uh, gold is also durable, meaning that it doesn't um, it doesn't rot, it doesn't disappear. Um, in the same way, Bitcoin is also very durable because like it's uh, it's just uh, like a bit of code, it doesn't disappear. So uh, yeah, to make it short, Bitcoin was created to, to like emulate and improve upon the properties that already had made gold a desirable form of money. So. That's why I like to call it digital gold. All right, understood. Uh, that reminds me of something funny. Uh, so now you've given a, a basic explanation of what Bitcoin is, and a big part of the <clears throat> of the game going on with Bitcoin seems to be a sort of like. A, hostility between uh, the forces of the world <clears throat> who have leveraged uh, money printing and <clears throat> inflation and also in a boom-bust transactional, well, transnational fashion, like, uh, <clears throat> for instance, in the Soviet Union, a lot of Western companies involved themselves in many of the things going down there in order to be able to buy up <clears throat> the businesses through a boom-bust manipulation. Now, I don't know too much about economics or finance, but basically since, since I started uh, distrust, distrusting COVID, uh, I've spent maybe an hour a week learning a bit here and there and listening to people here and there. And I'm lucky enough to have <clears throat> you as my friend. You also explained some things to me. Uh, but when it comes to, so I have two questions for you. Uh, first of all, it's similar to gold, but is there something backing it? And the other question I have, or it's not really a question, but I just find it funny that <clears throat> a certain politician here in Norway 
uh, <laughs> gave away all our gold in like 2004 or five. Uh, <clears throat> and we got paper gold back. So that seems like uh, another <clears throat> another meth method of intentionally increasing inflation amongst other things. Yes. Um, okay, so first of all, is there something backing Bitcoin? Um, there are no physical resources that back Bitcoin, um, but money is a, it's a social concept. Uh, humans through, through history have used very many different uh, items as money. And not and uh, not all of these items you would say have an intrinsic value. For example, um, in ancient times, humans have used seashells, uh, large stones, uh, salt, cattle, alcohol, tobacco, and uh, in many prisons, cigarettes are even used as money. But you you could argue that cigarettes has an intrinsic value because you can smoke them. Uh, and the same way silver and gold, right? Gold is used for a lot of in industrial processes, silver as well. So you could argue that they have the the value based on the in industrial demand for it. But the the value, the market value of gold, for example, is much higher than its industrial use cases should. Then it should be based on only its industrial demand. So we see that we value gold based on, really just based on that people just think it's valuable. It's um, it's nothing intrinsic about gold that should make it valuable. It's just uh, like a sort of game theoretical um, phenomenon that makes people think gold has a lot of value. And I think... Uh, that stems from that gold is very hard to create. It's very, very expensive and very, very hard to mine new gold. And uh, because gold lasts, uh, basically it lasts forever. So there is a huge gold, uh, gold supply in the world um, lying around everywhere, like uh, uh, compared to the annual production of gold. So let's say that um, let's say that the gold supply in the world, which which people own, is hundred tons, then the annual produ production of gold is can be one percent of that. So let's say one ton. So you can you can't produce. Uh, it's it's so hard to produce gold that you can't you can't uh, create a supply shock. It, it will never just sudden explosion of supply of gold in the market. So th that's that's why humans think gold is valuable. It's because it's very hard to produce it and thereby it becomes sort of a collectible first. And uh, humans just want to own it because it's it's very hard to make it. It's very hard to, to get it. And anything that's hard to get, humans just want for some reason. That's the same reason why seashells was a form of money uh, in many places worldwide, actually, because they were hard to create, especially uh, far away from the from the sea. Uh, for example, in the in the colonies in America in the 1600s, uh, they used uh, some form of seashells that were very hard to find as money. 
and the Indians, the Europeans came there, the Indians already used these uh, seashells as money. And in the colonies, they didn't have uh, access to gold and silver. Um, How dare you because... call them Indians? How okay. dare you? Okay. In How indigenous dare you? people. I'm sorry. I'm Native sorry, people, rightful owners and heirs of the land. Wise, okay. sages, mystics, and beautiful colored people. <laughs> sorry, continue. <laughs> yeah, whatever. The, the people who lived there before. They, um, they already used seashells as money. So the Europeans started as well to use seashells as money because that was the most scarce item they could find there that uh, also fulfilled some of the other properties money should have. So uh, based on the history of money, you can say that there's no intrinsic value to money. Money is just what emerged uh, naturally uh, as uh, sort of a way to transfer value across uh, space and time, and it doesn't need to have a value by itself. So that's why I can say that nothing is really backing Bitcoin, uh, but um, it can it it still has a a value because people think it has a value, and that's because it's very hard to create new Bitcoin. Uh, it will only ever exist at one million Bitcoin. Uh, around 20 million of these Bitcoin uh, or 19.2 million of these Bitcoin are now uh, already um, uh, circulating. So most of the Bitcoin that ever will be produced has already been produced. So uh, just because Bitcoin is very scarce, very hard to create, will will uh, will uh, mean, means that people will think that Bitcoin is valuable if we look at the like history of money. Okay, I understand. And one <clears throat> one intrinsic value that could be directly associated with Bitcoin would be the process and the machine, uh, the machines required to perform the action of Bitcoin mining, which creates an industry in itself and so therefore just like gold production i would assume that's an intrinsic value which will drive better for instance better uh, yeah graphics cards and better whatever like technological yeah. things actually, to continue actually uh, yeah. i i forgot to mention that that the bitcoin mining is essentially turning energy into bitcoin so if you have excess energy somewhere which is very cheap you can just produce use this energy to produce bitcoin so right now uh, most bitcoin miners they spend about uh, yeah let's say around ten thousand dollars to produce one bitcoin ten thousand dollars worth of energy and they then get the bitcoin worth uh, sixteen thousand dollars so you could say that if all these miners historically have spent so much real physical energy on producing all this Bitcoin, that at least they would, would think that hmm, if I spent $10,000 creating one Bitcoin, it should surely be worth more than $10,000. So you could say that Bitcoin is backed by the energy that has been consumed to produce Bitcoin. Um, and also the Bitcoin mining I actually work with Bitcoin mining and I think it's really fascinating because 
Bitcoin mining gives um, uh, gives owners of energy in around the whole world and and a new way of selling energy. They can now sell sell energy through the Bitcoin network. For example, um, and no one can, can prevent you from doing that. Uh, for example, a, a good example is Iran, which has abundant uh, abundant uh, natural gas and oil resources. Uh, but Iran is heavily sanctioned by the U.S. government. So Iran has actually emerged as a quite a big Bitcoin mining hub because instead of exporting their oil and gas, they uh, use this oil and gas to generate electricity in inside Iran, mine Bitcoin. And then they get Bitcoin. They actually are able to, to, to export their energy without actually selling the physical energy through the Bitcoin network. So Bitcoin has actually helped Iran to, to kind of evade some sanctions, uh, which is pretty interesting. And I think we will see uh, much more of that. We see, we see um, like owners of energy around the world if if i for example uh, lived in africa or what wherever and i had i had a huge uh, natural gas field um then it makes sense for me to just mine bitcoin with it and then export the energy to the like bitcoin network so i i think that is probably the most interesting thing about bitcoin is how it can transform the global energy markets and that, that will is, in turn drive drive the adoption of Bitcoin. That is true. That is quite interesting. And uh, it's great to have you on my podcast here, uh, Enemy of America and pro-Iranian shill. You work I'm for the Iranian government now, I guess. No, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, sort of like what... Um, uh, there are some, some things that interest uh, me personally. Now, first of all, that's your expertise. And I realize that you're quite good at it, at it uh, working with that. And uh, that, that is really, really cool. Uh, but I just think it's so funny and interesting how, for instance, right now we have these extreme energy prices at least in the western hemisphere and the bitcoin sort of like grassroots movements uh movement uh, had a thing within necessarily involves an ethos an ethos that is uh against central banking schemes generally speaking but of course uh, that currency could be taken over by a system which is is similar to to that. But uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. Uh, I see very clearly uh, the argumentations made for the fact that uh, it it is freedom as opposed to uh, slavery. I, I suppose that like it gives. Uh, people are shot at sort of escaping some of these because you have you have Bitcoin and of course uh, you have all the shit coins and then you have uh, Russia do backing their thing with gold and then you have the West who are seem dead set in their tracks to incorporate the intentionally failure that is their fiat mon monetary system and with all the quantitative easing of pension funds and whatever, they seem hell-bent on putting that into a centralized digital 
currency. And uh, as a result of that, people who see it happening will, of course, be wanting to try to get with some sort of system that is outside of that. And if it can spread on the popular tongue and become popular on its own in a sort of like people's fashion versus the elites or whatever you want to sort of call it, if you can even consider them that in the first place at this rate. Um, I see how the backing itself is sort of uh, fixed as long as uh, the value of it remains. Uh, but the thing is, it is not backed. It is true that it is not backed by an army or system of uh, centralized control, like a government, like the police service or whatever. And it seems like increasingly to me, it seems like certain forces of this society right now uh, are growing increasingly hostile towards the idea of a decentralized Bitcoin currency and they're trying to rein it in. What do you, what do you think about uh, about that? <laughs> yeah, actually, I would expect them to be more hostile towards it. And that's what's uh, kind of interesting that when the war in, in Ukraine started, I was like uh, pretty sure that it would be... Um, because you saw that Russia was was it's a lot of Bitcoin mining in Russia. Um, Russia also has problems selling their, or they don't really have any problems with selling their gas. But at least uh, with the sanctions, they have some uh, natural some excess natural gas inside Russia that they they can't sell to Europe. Um, so at least I've heard that Russia has. Uh, uh, ramped up its Bitcoin mining capacity to to use this natural gas to mine Bitcoin. Uh, I don't think it's the Russian government who does it themselves, but if there's excess energy within Russia that is very cheap, of course, some some smart person is going to use it to mine Bitcoin. So when, when the war in Ukraine started, I was sure that uh, they would use this as an excuse to like really ramp down on Bitcoin. Um, but I I actually don't think they have in that in so high regard. The, the only like kind of attacks we see on Bitcoin are from the environmental angle. Um, it's a lot of articles in the newspapers and they're trying to build a narrative that Bitcoin is bad for the environment. But uh, everything's uh, bad for the environment now. Yeah, I'm sorry to cut in, but like really what they're saying is that you're bad for the environment and so you should just kill yourself, yeah, yeah. basically. So, you know. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really what, what it's about. So they're trying to stifle all innovation, everything uh, productive. Uh, that's, uh, I don't know, it's uh, really turned upside down everything. But but yeah, anyways, I, I don't think, um, I don't think they like... Um, how, how do you call it, elite or whatever, are as against Bitcoin as I would expect. For me, it seemed like they almost not care about it, which is quite strange because uh, everyone within bit, the Bitcoin system, they think that Bitcoin is going to change the world, that it's going to replace this fiat system. 
And we have to remember that the fiat system, the ability to print money out of thin air, that one, one small group of people have the ability to print money out of thin air and then buy real world uh, resources for this money. Of course, it's the most powerful uh, force in the world. And if you have access to the money printer, you will be the most powerful people in the world. So that they haven't, in bigger uh, regards, fought against Bitcoin uh, is quite interesting. Uh, but I think um, if, Bit if the Bitcoin price really increases within the next few years, let's say in the next bull market, then I think we will definitely see more, more attacks on Bitcoin. Because now when Bitcoin is like 16,000, no one, uh, like most people think Bitcoin is dead. It's always like that. But uh, we see the attacks starting in the bull markets. And if Bitcoin goes above 100,000, we will definitely see a lot of attacks. And if Bitcoin really has the potential to change the world, I think we will have very big attacks in the next, uh, in the next bull market. And I think actually a lot uh, in the future, uh, many like Bitcoin proponents might have to uh, leave uh, Europe particularly and potentially also the US. We will see how that develops. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the Southern countries like the African countries, South American countries, uh, they will be the most likely to be more in favor of Bitcoin because they are the ones who really really are falling behind in the current money system this is true and uh it seems like uh but you know it's kind of complex uh because of the situation we're in with russia and china in the background and uh, some of the different actors within different uh, socio-political spheres who have their intentions on many different things all at once uh but just generally speaking i'm a, i find it i find it very interesting about the energy situation and what you said about perhaps europe and the united states uh evolving into such a direction but uh, i really don't think that's going to actually don't think that's going to to happen at all uh, because they don't have the legislative uh, power to be able to do it in these countries uh, you know uh, with the whole covid thing that was a big test just to see like so what sort of things they could get away with and i found out i mean they could get away with a lot of stuff because of a complacent populace but eventually the populace is not complacent anymore and a lot of work is being done by lawyers and others but as you said, we'll see what happens there. It's just fascinating with this uh, climate-hard agenda, how they really have managed a sufficient amount of uh, minds to fall into the predicament that we should de-industrialize ourselves to save the planet. But then it's kind of funny. It's clear that they have no idea what's really going on at all in the first place, because They've been pushing for it for 10 years. And then when inflation and whatever and cost of living goes through the roof, then they complain, you know. But then, of course, the solution is that we need to give 
all the power to the state. And coincidentally, the same state needs to be allowed to sell drugs so you can get drugs or whatever. But now I'm getting into a bunch of different things all at once. Uh, I'd like to ask you, who do you think uh, created Bitcoin? Um, I mean, I, it could be a person uh, or persons, uh, plural, or which types of, uh, which nation do you think it actually was in the beginning? Yeah. So uh, just to give some background, and uh, nobody knows who created Bitcoin, or at least it seems like nobody knows it. I guess someone knows it. Uh, it was an unknown individual or or group operating under the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto, who created Bitcoin. Um, so nobody, it seems like nobody knows the real identity of this Satoshi Nakamoto, but people have been speculating on who it can be since Bitcoin was invented in 2008. Um, and Satoshi Nakamoto suddenly disappeared in late 2010 and uh, haven't been heard from since. And this uh, one uh, Satoshi Nakamoto owns more than 1 million Bitcoin. So 1 million out of 21 million. So uh, has many billions worth of Bitcoin, basically, but hasn't used any of it. So, yeah. Uh, who could be Satoshi Nakamoto? There are many candidates and some... Uh, uh, I don't need to, to come with any names, but uh, there are... Yeah, I can say some names. It's Nick Sabo, can be. Adam Back, Hal Finney. Those, these three are guys from within like the Bitcoin space. Um, uh, some speculate that it can be one of them. And these are like known cryptographers uh, that come from a so-called cypherpunk movement uh, in the 90s, which were, you know, when internet was new in the 90s or kind of knew it was adopted started to be adopted by the by the general public in the 90s and there was a, a movement of people who who um, understood that the internet would uh, evolve into a more you can say a, a less free uh, free thing because in the beginning internet was touted as yeah this will increase our freedoms and all these things uh, but we now see that it didn't necessarily happen. Um, it could also be a, a government entity. Many, many, or some people are speculating that it could be uh, the CIA. Um, I think you have been speculating this, Nils, right? Yeah, to me it seems uh, the most likely option. that uh, Not necessarily the CIA, but the same people invented the internet i.e darpa yeah oh, that's what yeah, i think it also makes sense uh, to me i understand that point of view because uh firstly satoshi nakamoto means central intelligence in japanese so can could give us some clues there and also just that nobody seems to know who the founder was uh, is is quite uh, interesting because who are who are better to hide their tracks than uh, intelligence organizations? It seems to me really strange that this person was able to cooperate online with other people in the development of the Bitcoin protocol for nearly two years, 
without uh, there being any clue who the, that person was. And, and in that's... addition, uh, yeah, sorry, but uh, in, in addition, uh, it is known that some of the the earliest adaptations of Bitcoin internationally was for, uh, well, intelligence agency employees uh, doing uh, business and whatever abroad. Yeah, it, uh, that's interesting. And also that the, the, the one of the most, like Bitcoin is based on cryptography. Cryptography is the most important technology in Bitcoin. So, and this most uh, most important uh, cryptographic algorithm, which is a bit, is used in Bitcoin is called SHA-256. And this is a hashing algorithm that was invented by the NSA in, I think it was 2005, or it was released publicly in 2005. And Bitcoin appeared in 2009. Um, well, there this... you have your answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm just thinking, why would the NSA publicly release uh, like a successful uh, hashing or a successful cryptographic algorithm uh, if they didn't have a backdoor to this algorithm. At least that's what I think. Well, um, if you... Uh, well, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this all at once. So uh, I am myself becoming convinced that Bitcoin is the future. And I believe that it will be at 100,000 by the end of... No, perhaps not yet, because we have some monkey business we have to get through. But yeah. at least by 2025, it will be 100,000. What remains to see is if the current uh, governing, reigning people who have been controlling the previous system, whether they will attempt to incorporate themselves within, to, within this system or if they will try to throw the baby out with the bath water instead. And they seem to not really be sure. And I do believe that we are <clears throat> governed intentionally with a lot of uh, incompetence. Okay, so you see this everywhere. Like now on Twitter, there's a big thing about a lot of uh, the previous Twitter employees with the Twitter files, for instance, you see a lot of them are sort of like weird and they seem to be in favor of pedophilia or something, you know? It's like they're sort of like placed there as these transparent clowns, you know, is what I think. It's a Hegelian dialectic. And the last manifestation of Marxian thought is libertarianism. That's the fourth or fifth stage of Marxist ideas. But everything can be astroturfed and turbo-pushed now because of the internet. <laughs> Developments that would ordinarily take 15 years can now take five months instead. Uh, so we will go through a period of governmental dictates and land grabs and stuff like that, but it will be very short because it will self-cannibalize itself. And the Bitcoin narrative enjoys such a big push 
by uh, agents uh, and people in the cultural shaping regiments but also botnets uh, also uh, that it will eventually become popularized and it sort of like inhabits this thing it has this thing going for it that is uh, that it's freedom and it has nothing to do with these uh, money printing war mongers they're like sort of going out on date they're becoming like uh, the horse and wagon the only problem with this horse and wagon is that they can run over people <laughs> as they spass out and go berserk yeah, um, that's that's true. That there maybe maybe a government organization or an intelligence organization is behind Bitcoin. Who knows? Um, but I still think, uh, just like you, that Bitcoin will become the next uh, like a global monetary system. Exactly, uh, and the reason it's exactly because the like old world, the old system is completely falling apart. Uh, that's why we have the the great reset, and uh, I think Bitcoin is the great reset. Um, mm. Exactly because how can you save uh, such a uh, like system that is completely falling apart? They will try. They will try to create central bank digital currencies and like keep people uh, like enslaved between borders, but. Uh, I don't think that will work in the long run. I think um, what's happening now is that the, the states are really falling apart. And that's a natural consequence of the world becoming much more global. And in a global world where you can communicate uh, with people all around the world, why shouldn't you use a global currency like Bitcoin? I can, um, let's say that I want to uh, let's say, hire a graphic designer from uh, Nigeria. And before Bitcoin, it would be really difficult because there would be some, like, they would have to uh, to transfer money in this Nigerian currency, uh, sell that for dollar, send the dollar to Norway, and then sell the dollar for kroner again. And the whole process would go through, like, 10 different banks and take five days and cost... Uh, like ten dollars in fees, but with and and maybe I I, sh I would pay for just a service that would cost me less than ten dollars. Why should I pay ten dollars in fees then? With Bitcoin, I can send money everywhere in the world with with ease. It doesn't matter if I'm sending money to my brother in Norway or a graphic designer in Nigeria. The money is it's the same simplicity. So, and and also, it's not only the global aspect of Bitcoin. It's just that it's it's completely organic from the from the bottom up. It's just completely organic adoption. Uh, the ser the services created on top of Bitcoin, like yeah, wallets, apps, uh, kind of some Bitcoin banks, uh, all these services. They're just growing organically up from Bitcoin. It's no like central entity to direct uh, the development of Bitcoin. It's just growing up from the need of uh, of normal people. So 
and if it's one thing I understood is that like organic systems always win over the centrally controlled systems. And of course, the central systems, the central banks, they will try to stop Bitcoin. But uh, I, I don't really think you can stop Bitcoin, or I'm, I'm sure that you can't stop it because it's distributed all around the world. Um, thousands of computers all around the world run Bitcoin and store the Bitcoin blockchain. So it's impossible to destroy it. And it will just grow bigger and bigger for each year. Like there are very few people who get into Bitcoin who uh, get out of Bitcoin. Uh, but there are, so the the user base will just keep getting bigger and bigger. And what I also like about Bitcoin is that it gives normal people a possibility to get into the uh, the rapidly increasing currency before the already rich people. Because um, Bitcoin has a market capitalization of around $300 billion. That's not high enough for the like global banking institutions to buy it. So for them to be able to buy it, they will have to wait until Bitcoin gets bigger and has a better liquidity. Because let's say that the Bank of America tomorrow decided to purchase $20 billion worth of Bitcoin. Of course, that would increase the Bitcoin price by, by really much. So they would not be interested in, in doing that. So they will have to wait. And normal people can, can get in, in first in Bitcoin. So it's kind of a, if, if Bitcoin grows bigger, it's kind of a wealth transfer from the already rich to the to more normal, uh, more, no, more, more normal people. Totally true. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to Bitcoin cycles of value and of worth, of course, it's tied to people's direct uh, circumstances outside of their window. Uh, but there's also guaranteed a lot of uh, undermining and speculation of which uh, we're not entirely sure what's really going on but as they label them un unusual whales or whatever they call that um there's a lot of funny and funky things happening with bitcoin all over the place but uh yeah it really seems uh because um that's the only options we do have uh we do have uh, a lot of people sort of saying uh yeah we need to do what russia is doing and back it by gold or even a lot of people in the West saying very openly that they support Russia. Now, whether that's true or not, maybe they're paid shills or narrative people, what do I know? But that's just uh, kind of funny to me because they cooperate with China where they put people in those COVID camps. There seems to be a heavy cognitive dissonance. And uh, this is something that I've uh, thought about myself before that it really is like who who is able to think in an in a new fashion instead of resorting to old narratives a good example of old narratives are people who sort of fall into like uh, whatever some people seem to consider themselves 
communists and others seem to consider themselves fascists and it's being heavily pushed on telegram and stuff and it's just funny because all of those things are just copes and nothing is really happening in reality the mass civil war of ideology spans across the world but it's mostly only digital very rarely does it actually manifest itself out on the street but with increased inflation and energy prices in combination with a self-cannibalizing state intent on uh, reducing itself through deindustrialization in the holy name of climate with a bunch of crazy people running around saying we need to start touching kids in inappropriate places i do assume that a populist backlash is going to happen and so i'm of the i've come to the conclusion that bitcoin is the solution uh i guess you could say but it's also sort of the, in the intention in, in itself uh i mean but then of course you do have people with the intent of centralized digital currencies and such things uh but they will lose because they're already self-cannibalizing they're demanding too much of their subjects and the people who remain loyal are people who either cannot tell the truth or cannot uh figure out what the truth is yeah. in the first place and you, you can also see see it on the on the age of the central bank digital currency proponents most of them are like 80 year year old veterans from the from the banking system who started their careers after right after second world war or in the 70s maybe but so they, they will probably die before uh, before they get the, the possibility to, imp to implement these central bank digital currencies. And you can see the like new kind of ruling class of younger people, like for example Elon Musk. They all seem to like kind of like Bitcoin actually. So um, yeah, I think Bitcoin will have the support of the like new. A new upcoming elite, um, while the while the old, uh, while the old elite who like lose power and uh, have gotten all their power from the from the central banking system, they will of course be against Bitcoin. But who knows? the The real uh, powerful, uh, the real uh, powerful people are probably. Uh, supporting bitcoin also who knows like yeah they're just changing their system from the from the central banking system to bitcoin if, if they're smart who knows yeah if they're smart that's what they would do uh or they can uh cause a french revolution upon themselves with memes <laughs> a meme revolution where they're just being bullied every day and nobody takes them seriously anymore yeah. uh, you know <laughs> I, I think they i think they understand that uh, like if bitcoin really is bitcoin adoption is really inevitable that bitcoin like becomes the uh, the next global monetary system then i think they understand it and i think they because they're really smart they would be they would um, like to understand bitcoin more and of course uh, bitcoin would reduce their power i really believe so 
uh, they would get much less power from Bitcoin than from the money printing, but they would still try to learn about Bitcoin and like find a way to get power from it. But yeah, I really believe that the, the Bitcoin will separate the state from the money. Um, and of course, if, if you can't print money as a state or as a bank, then you lose a lot of power. With Bitcoin, you can't print money. An ironic thing that most people are not aware of is that you cannot implement communism without a central bank. Yeah. That is what... Yeah. Central bank. Yes, and it is like it is a prerequisite of being able to implement communism at all. And what we are seeing with ESG, you know, environmental, social, and government score, whatever, uh, they're really pushing it. Um, it seems like they're getting their hands in places where sh they should not be allowed to have them in the first place. But people are no noticing that it really doesn't work. And uh, eventually, you know, eventually, because, you know, I see this, what I see from a lot of uh, people, just take locally Norway, just I'm good at seeing narratives on Twitter and stuff like what people say and sort of reading between the lines. Uh, and when, when it comes to a lot of this stuff being said from what you would otherwise consider a state, you know, the definition of a state is something we can't even define anymore. They're, they're kind of, there, there is not really a state anymore either. It's like, a, it's a notion we should stop using. Uh, I don't really know what to call them, but people who are representatives of the current governing body of which is failing their citizenry in their most basic duties. And that is just true. They're saying now, this is my point, everything they say is crisis, crisis and fear, fear. And between the lines, everything they're saying is like, basically they're just going on tirades all day, telling the world that they're incomp incompetent and insolvent, just incapable of fixing the problems, many of which they have themselves created. Yeah, it's interesting because when you talk about this uh, climate hard thing, like with these windmills, we're going to go back to to, to energy production technology from the 1600s with the windmill. It's so stupid, uh, but. Uh, yeah, I think people are starting. Are, are people are going to to understand it in in two years? But then it's too late, you know. It's just because uh, I've been talking to, to a lot of normies lately. You know, I'm I'm in Christmas. It's Christmas. I'm in back in my hometown, and um, people starting to admit now that the vaccines were a complete failure. That it didn't work. People get sick from that. And uh, so they are admitting this now, and uh, like normal people, it's starting to get uh, get uh, get in the mainstream. In like a few weeks, it's going to be in the mainstream newspapers probably. Um, and in the same way, I think the energy production, like all these ESG things, all these uh, climate hard things, 
they will also start to understand that that was fake or like not true. And all this stuff that, uh, yeah, that you're just seeing uh, happening with the narrative failures. But that seems intentional to me. Um, like, because it comes to a certain point when you go to Lips TikTok and whatever, it seems like a setup, like a, a sting, you know, like a clown, catch the clown gig, where sort of like... Uh, to like out these deceptive uh, actors. And um, I just find it, I, I find it absolutely completely crazy to even think about the people like the journalist case, how they, when the Biden laptop thing, because I knew about that even before the election, like because I saw it three days before the election even happened on the internet. <clears throat> And so I knew it was true from the get-go. I didn't know exactly how severe it was or what exactly it was about, but I just saw videos of Biden's son being out of it on crack, you know, and whatever, you know, and it was real. It didn't seem like a deep fake. Yeah, and, I remember uh, you sent them to me. Yeah, and it, seemed, and it seemed like a legitimate leak, you know. But then what they're trying to do then is like, I've read some, okay, for my own and your security, I won't even say what type of magazine it was, but it was this like whole thing about, oh, you need to protect your mind. You need to protect your own thoughts from misinformation. And then everything they label misinformation is, of course, things that are true, which once properly processed makes the mind whom is capable of just sort of realizing it. Uh, aware that the people sort of in charge uh, in quotation marks have lied to them <laughs> you know it's just so crazy um, but there's just being outed now to such an extent and they set themselves in this trap like the Biden laptop was completely real from day one I mean I couldn't know for sure at the beginning, but it was an interesting rumor. A couple of months later, I knew for sure. And then half a year after that, they compared talking about it to denying the Holocaust and saying that Elvis lives on the moon. And then the craziest part of it all was that a story which was true, which is something we should all know about because it really uh, sort of, questions a lot of other things about the state of our democracy uh, that was a fact and then based on that fact they were publicly intellectualizing that perhaps we shouldn't allow certain speech perhaps there is actually a limit to what you should be able to say uh, and then it was true like that's so stupid can you think of something dumber than that <laughs> uh, that's so crazy and it's just so many lies everywhere, and uh, the things that are true are labeled as lies. Things that are lies are labeled as true, like in the official narrative right now. And that's um, one thing I really uh, like about Bitcoin, is that it's actually a source of truth. Like Bitcoin is, Bitcoin is a truth machine, because the Bitcoin blockchain, is the only uh, unalterable um, record in the world, 
which has ever existed, like through all times, um, that you can just change information is has been a big problem for humanity. Um, it opens up for fraud. Uh, for example, if I have a an uh, if, if I have a, a company, I can and I can find a way to change the accounts of this company. I can trick all my shareholders. I can trick all uh, people working in my company, all my clients everywhere, everyone. But Bitcoin has a completely unalterable um, uh, record of transactions. You can never change this record. And the reason is because it's really expensive to change the, uh, the record of transactions in Bitcoin. And the reason is because Bitcoin keeps its uh, transactions in a system called a blockchain. So uh, transactions are recorded in blocks. And these blocks are chained after one another. Um, and these blocks have a, a cryptographic relationship to each other. So let's say uh, that Bitcoin has a thousand blocks that are chained after each other. If I should go back uh, 900 block, blocks and change block number 100, I need to, like, uh, then, then, then that will make all the ob blocks after um, uh, invalid, in, in, invalid. So well, Bitcoin, if I go, yeah, well, if I go, yeah. Sorry, continue. I didn't, McLaren, well, sure. Yeah, so so if I if I want to like change a transaction in in the Bitcoin uh, blockchain, um, I need to reproduce all the blocks that come after the block which I change, um, which means I need to expend enormous amounts of energy to do that. So, the the Bitcoin blockchain is backed by Bitcoin miners. Bitcoin miners are the entities which uh, which uh, they, they have a lot of computers, a lot of machines, and these computers uh, expend a massive amount of energy. And they're trying to become the uh, to to earn the rights to be the next miner to be allowed to to put a block of transactions onto the blockchain. And this extreme uh, computing power uh, means that like it protects the blockchain. It's kind of a lottery. There are miners all over the world who, who compete with with each other to guess uh, like a magic number. The first miner who gets this magic number is allowed to put their block of transactions onto the blockchain. Um, and on average, it takes 10 minutes between each block and it requires a massive amount of energy. The more energy you have, the more the quicker you are able to guess numbers, and the higher probability that you will be able to uh, put the next block onto the blockchain. Um, so yeah, that's that's the important thing that the the truth of the blockchain of the information on the blockchain is backed by pure uh, physical energy. Because you can't change the blockchain without using enormous amounts of energy. And therefore, the Bitcoin blockchain has never in its history uh, been, uh, been changed or altered.
Oh, I understand. That's pretty cool that you can have a record going back. But yeah, we do have records within central banking. But as you know, a lot of stuff is hidden and kept yeah, you away. Can, you can change it. Also control the also control the the record or the ledger in central mm -hmm. banking. Also control the database. They can easily change the database as they want. With Bitcoin, no one can can change the database of transactions as they want. And you can also store other type of information in the Bitcoin blockchain. You can store messages, for example. There are a lot of messages in the Bitcoin blockchain. Like you can store a lot of different information there. Yeah, that's really interesting and a good point. Uh, but of course, you know, um, <clears throat> so it remains secure in, in that fashion. Uh, are there Bitcoin mining public companies that you can invest in? Yes, there are uh, about 20 publicly listed Bitcoin mining companies, and most of them are listed in the US. Um, I've been spending quite a lot of time analyzing these companies for my for my job, uh, but I wouldn't recommend investing in, in these companies uh, because they have, um, like they mine Bitcoin, uh, but these companies have been uh, kind of uh, kind of scammy, to be honest, because it's a new industry, and in most new industries there are a lot of scams. Uh, in these companies, the management have have um, given themselves huge bonuses, spent mm. the shareholders' money on, yeah, basically giving themselves huge bonuses, and yeah, it's just been a not not too not that good good uh, like well run companies and therefore their share prices has declined by like ninety percent during the last year. I think I think they they might increase going forward if Bitcoin increases, of course. But I would rather recommend to just buy Bitcoin and not buy these mining companies. I understand. And uh, a recurring theme seems to be the same as with. Uh... In the time of Napster, when people could uh, download music for free, it seems like a lot of uh, third, fourth, and fifth parties that are only parasitic and do not actually contribute any real value, uh, they're being axed. And I guess uh, you could call them the, hmm, what should you call them? They have like a status in society and their status is threatened. But this goes towards absolutely everything with the promise of automation and AI as well. A lot of people will become redundant, myself included, perhaps even you, who knows? It kind of depends on how far it, it goes. Um, but that's what I see and that's why I know that it will win in the end, but you see a lot of intentional things happening with, like for instance, uh, Sam Bankman Freed. I consider the entire thing happening there as highly intentional and uh, another, another round of intentional clownery, uh, basically to sort of make it into a circus joke, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I also think it was intentional. Like, there are these like autistic uh, 
like what should I call him? Like this autistic guy. Uh, in case you haven't seen Sam Bankman-Fried, you should Google him. He's like the the type who sits twenty hours a day on the computer chair and just like his back is completely like art, like he like the like the Notre Dame. Uh, what's it called? This in English. <laughs> Hunchback in Notre Dame. Hey, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say something quickly when it comes to Sam Bankman-Fried. It was this video of him. And it was this voiceover who was like supposed to be telling everyone what a great guy Sam Bankman-Fried is. And it's the way he said it. It seemed like a cruel joke. Just the tone of the narrator, like he doesn't even want money and he wants to fix the climate, you know. <laughs> it was too yeah. stupid. And I laughed yeah. so hard that I almost like pooped my pants when I, I, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen, but it's very cruel. It's like, Bankman is like the victim, you know, but he just doesn't realize it. <laughs> yeah, ju just to give some context to those who, who haven't heard about this thing, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried is the founder of a cryptocurrency exchange called FTX. This FTX exchange, it um, <laughs> it was growing really fast, and then it suddenly uh, went bankrupt, or because it spent the customers. Uh, deposits on trading. So it's basically he, Sam Bankman-Fried, and his girlfriend, who is like a Harry Potter fan. With yeah, I I don't know how to <laughs> how to describe her, but like really the little more... the little chipmunk on designer amphetamines. <laughs> I've heard yeah, someone yeah. say that. <laughs> and they um, they just traded away all the customers. Uh, crypto deposits and they didn't say and tell anyone about it so here this exchange was like uh, was like insolvent for many months without anyone suspecting it almost and then suddenly uh, people started to find out or to suspect it and all the customers wanted to withdraw their crypto from from the exchange of course but of course they didn't have the crypto so people <laughs> people didn't uh, didn't get their crypto back from that. And again, we they... have the recurring theme of the celebrities and sort of like guardians of culture, narcissists and sports and entertainment uh, publicly stating that uh, they are buying that uh, crypto through FTX and losing all the money. Yeah. yeah, it was so many celebrities who was marketing <laughs> for this FTX. <laughs> And they have such a huge marketing budget. They bought the the naming rights for the, I think, for the Miami Heat Stadium. So they, it was like called FTX Arena, and uh, yeah, and and they, um, yeah. What else did they do? <laughs> There's nothing they didn't do. They did everything. <laughs> <laughs> they did everything. So yeah, when it went bankrupt, this this Sam Bankman-Fried, he was like before they went bankrupt. He was the like poster boy of uh, of uh, like crypto regulation. So he was like going into the into the U.S. Congress on hearings, and like he was interviewed by the Congress. Yeah, and what about, about his father? Crypto regulation. Yeah, and his father uh, had a. No, was it his father? Yeah, yeah. Both his parents. There were yes. law professors at I think Stanford University. 
Stanford and, uh, University, by the way, is that university that had a professor who came out and said publicly that two plus two can equal five, which is what Orwell or Huxley said that they would say and people would believe them. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but that's just kind of funny. <laughs> and uh, the parents of girlfriend of Sam Bankman-Fried, this amphetamine monkey who <laughs> nerd, nerd girl. Yeah. She, uh, her, her parents, like her father, he was the, um, the professor, the like head professor of, of economics at MIT and had uh, and was best friends with the, I think the, the leader of the SEC, like the Securities and Exchange Commission in the US. So they they had really good relationships with the U.S. regulators and with the U.S. government. And Sam Bankman-Fried was also the second biggest uh, donor to the Democratic Party after George Soros. And then this cryptocurrency exchange collapsed. And uh, like two weeks after the collapse, guess what? He was invited to, I think it was the New York Times, like some kind of charity event where he would be a speaker. So he was a speaker at this New York Times charity event together with like Stelensky and a lot of other. <laughs> like you have to see this list of, of the attendees of this arrangement. Yes, I've read, I have read through it, but uh, again, a lot of intentional uh, clownery. I would say that um, there's something I've recently been getting very into without being very publicly about it. And a lot of the reason for getting into it has been just ordinary studies at my faculty in theology. But I have learned a lot and I believe that it allows me to predict some of the things that are going to happen soon from reading through, especially the French Revolution from a theological and geopolitical standpoint, because there's a lot of similarities. It's just that we have the internet now and things go much faster, but you have a certain elite fronting themselves as a certain elite and they have certain ties. And then based on the fact of whether they will step down and actually uh, change themselves or not is what will predict what will happen to both the Bitcoin price, uh, but also the availability of using Bitcoin as a currency in the Northern European hemisphere. Yeah. Um, for me, it seemed like the, Europe will be the last countries to adopt Bitcoin. Uh, Europe is really, it's, it's probably or guaranteed the most hostile uh, region towards Bitcoin. They, Europe, last year they tried to, or actually this year they tried to ban uh, proof of work in Europe, which is the, basically Bitcoin mining. They wanted to ban Bitcoin mining in Europe. Um, the EU. We see that, yeah, the EU wanted to, they tried to ban Bitcoin mining in Europe, but they, they failed. But I don't think, I think they will try again. Uh, yes. But simultaneously, we see the, the poor nations, the like third world nations in Africa and South America. They are uh, seem eager to adopt Bitcoin because they don't really have anything to lose. They want to try something new. No. So that's also what is really interesting with Bitcoin is that not only will the 
like uh, kind of working class people have the ability to get into Bitcoin and buy Bitcoin before the major institutions, but the the poorer countries will actually be the first to adopt Bitcoin. And that's evident by El Salvador and the Central African Republic being, being the two only countries in the world which has uh, made Bitcoin legal tender. Isn't it legal in Switzerland as well as a pender, a legal pender? It's a legal tender in Lugano in Switzerland. Okay, so right. Lugano is one city in Switzerland. I was there two months ago and the government of Lugano uh, wants to, they're innovative in Switzerland and the government of Lugano wants to, to test out Bitcoin. Yeah. And they have so McDonald's in Lugano, like various restaurants, possible to pay with Bitcoin there. I think you can pay taxes with Bitcoin in Lugano. Um, but uh, this is kind of interesting because <clears throat> the narrative of uh, which uh, is the truth when it comes to just a practical application of managing, storing uh, wealth. Uh, is also something which <clears throat> seems to back the third world and the BRICS nations while undermining uh, the West. And that is just a fact of, that we're sort of becoming aware of now, where you have all these, you have these like greenwashing people and the people who have been pushing for windmills and going against nuclear power and other things such as that. Uh, they are by virtue of reality itself liars and at the same time they're just full of shit because uh, a big thing for them is like oh no uh, we're not gonna do foreign aid anymore oh they're all gonna suffer basically 90% of all the money that goes through foreign aid is just an attempt to control those nations anyway and a sort of whitewashing operation yeah, they're like they're like if you don't do as we say we, we will not give you this foreign aid we, yes. we will not give you this loan. Uh, a lot of people have some good lectures on this uh, that I've watched myself. And it's just so clear that that is uh, what is happening. But then you have the climatards who think that they're like sort of like backing communism or something like that. But it's just predatory uh, corporate not capitalism but like predatory corporatism yeah uh, or state sanctioned about, corporatism when, yeah. we, when we talk about the, the windmills uh do you want to hear a fun fact it's, yes uh, texas has become one of the biggest hubs in the world for bitcoin mining and that's because they have so much wind production there and solar mm. production and uh, what is re has really happened there is that the U.S. government, the federal government, has uh, made production uh, tax. They give production tax credits, so they give subsidies to the wind producers for producing energy. And because of these subsidies, they made it highly profitable to just build as much wind power as possible in West Texas, which is a desert where it doesn't live any people. Um, and they don't have the necessary uh, infrastructure to transport this energy to the east of the state where people actually live. So you have all this stranded energy, stranded wind energy in West Texas, and uh, that have only been built due to the 
government subsidies. So these government subsidies have led to a massive misallocation of capital, which they always do. And um, this has attracted a lot of Bitcoin miners. So these Bitcoin miners have moved to West Texas because you can set up a Bitcoin mining operation practically anywhere. And they have all this excess energy there, which they can't sell. So it's really, really cheap energy. Bitcoin miners move there and they consume this energy, produce Bitcoin, and they give these wind projects actually, actually a revenue. So it's interesting that like, I'm not a big fan of windmills. I like to call them windmills because I think we could call them the name from the 1600s because it's really a 1600s technology. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of windmills, but uh, I think it's interesting that it's it's actually a quite popular uh, popular energy uh, resource for Bitcoin miners, exactly because they can like they are the only energy consumers that can uh, turn on and off their consumption really fast, like regulate their consumption after the production of the windmills, and. Um, it's it's so interesting that they like um, people think, at least in Norway or Germany or whatever, that windmills, who only produce energy when when it blows wind, which is not all the time, and it's very uh, very you don't know exactly when it's going to be windy either, but these windmills can replace coal plants, which is powered by a fuel that you can just put into the put into the generator whenever you need energy. That's completely absurd that they think that it's 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 such a simple concept. The concept of like reliable energy, which you you can uh, you can get whenever you want, and unreliable energy. So, like in the in the future energy system of Europe, they want to connect Europe into this super grid. They even going to connect Iceland to the European energy grid. Mm. They want to build a huge cable, the biggest undersea cable in the world, from Iceland to England, so that uh, Iceland uh, can sell its cheap energy to to Europe, and um, Europeans will have to. Like this system will be so complicated. They they want to that Europeans like adjust their energy consumption based on the available energy. So like people need to like charge their cars in the night. They can't charge in the day. Um. So yeah, it it will only be uh, avail. It the energy energy availability will be really dependent on. If it's windy or not, or if it's sunny or not, it will be weather de dependent. And um, it's really Bitcoin miners are the only energy consumers who doesn't care about when they consume energy. Like no normal households, they care. They can't just like to to adjust their consumption. They can't always look at the energy price. Oh, I'm going to take a shower now or not? Oh no, it's. It's expensive electricity. I better wait till tomorrow with showering. Maybe it blows uh, it blows wind tomorrow and I can have a shower. But that's why they want to have <clears throat> ESGs and personal carbon footprint tracking and all of these things. And this is just how communists operate. And they seem to be 
pretty much the only thing really that seems to motivate sort of communists is uh, they have an ideological fascination for justice. And then once injustice arrives from their failed ideals and their failed ideas, uh, they start sort of demanding that everyone else suffer with them again in the name yeah. of justice. And we have a population in the Norway highly susceptible to this, as you see, when a lot of uh, rich people <clears throat> move to Switzerland or other places. I very rarely see a discussion about why are they moving. What I see the most is a lot of anger at the fact that they have moved and proposals of uh, introducing laws that are that go back in time. Like that's like uh, the first sign of a insincere sort of like banana republic system of people who are really they they are they are experiencing a crisis and their only solution is to go with them down into the mud and to suffer with them and to agree with them that yes that person up there on the grass sitting in a nice chair drinking a glass of fresh milk he should be down here with us in the mud instead <laughs> like pigs in the mud <laughs> yeah oh, it's so yeah, crazy it's um animal it's farms <laughs> yeah yeah that's the best book ever describes the state of the Norway quite good, or at least uh, maybe the coming state. We will yeah, see. I feel like we see it already, but the thing is, those people, okay, not people as individuals, but those cliques and groups, that's why it seems intentional to me. This seems to be uh, sort of intentional, all of this, and to then have freedom and a sort of like global revolution against the people who are trying to take us into that. But just what they are proposing in virtue of itself within the EU now, with shutting down all the farms and carbon tracking and blah, 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 you know, it goes into some crazy, crazy, absolute re retarded territory where nobody will be happy in a, such a situation. Yeah. How like I don't think it can get so much worse in Europe before people completely lose their minds because like right now people already start to lose their mind over the electricity prices. Imagine if they if they continue doubling down on these failed energy policies, of course energy prices will be even higher next winter. Yeah, and then and feed everyone these uh, soy slobs of food that that's absolute absolute shit food <laughs> just you know seed oil infused uh, green nutrition bars <laughs> that you get yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. but you know what Jan? um it was so nice talking to you tonight in english uh, I'm going to have to cut it a bit shorter than I wanted to because of some circumstances that I don't have to share with with everyone. But we can uh, we can talk a bit more, just like sort of highlight some of the things. Uh, so you, of course, you are a proponent of Bitcoin, I would assume. And uh, I guess uh, perhaps uh, the best 
type of information for my listeners. I have a varied uh, sort of clientele. Uh, what would you advise them um, in their varied financial situations? Like now, is Bitcoin at 16 right now? Yeah, like 16, 17,000. Yeah. And so it doesn't really matter if it goes to 12 or it stays at 16 unless you have a lot of wealth to actually put into it. But would you recommend getting into Bitcoin? Now, I consider this one of the greatest opportunities ever myself, yeah. personally. Yeah, I, I also like it's uh, I think buying Bitcoin right now is a good choice. If I had any uh, money, I would do it myself. But all my money is uh, is in Bitcoin or other things. So, but yeah, sixteen thousand is a very low level for Bitcoin. Uh, I'm sure even in, that... even if it goes to eight and stays there for a bit, it's gonna bump bump back up again. Yeah, the the the, the interesting thing about Bitcoin is that in the long term, either Bitcoin will go to zero or it will go to several million dollars. So Bitcoin will either be a huge success or it will be a complete failure. So it's a really asymmetric bet. And I think the, the probability that Bitcoin will be a huge success is much higher than that it will be a complete failure. So your upside is like at least 100 times uh, the current price. And the downside is of course zero. Yeah, I would and, uh, say it's probably 80 or 85% likely that it's going to end up eventually winning. There's yeah. just a certain amount of chance. That's sort of like when I I bet on Trump in an election and then it happened still. But then there's some intentional things being done uh, of which one did not think them capable of actually conducting in reality you know uh but i don't think because of what you told me about the block chain ledger system and the fact that it requires energy itself that you know they could yeah it seems very unlikely that it would yeah. be because of that maybe a two percent chance and then yeah, the remaining is yeah and the remaining percent of chance is more cultural and socioeconomic uh, in in character than exactly. uh, yeah so bitcoin will uh, bitcoin uh, it, it might not reach hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in the next few years but whatever happens it will survive and it will keep the system will keep evolving like organically in the background no matter what happens so, like, I'm I'm confident that at one time it will reach several million dollars, and I don't see any other. Um, I I really don't see any other solution for the world right now in terms of the global monetary system because, like, the the monetary system we have right now is completely crumbling. So. And all the countries are trying to like isolate themselves from the rest of the world with their own central bank digital currencies, while Bitcoin is a global currency. Um, of course, in a global world, which uh, then of course Bitcoin is going to be completely superior to all these isolated 
uh, isolated uh, tyrannical uh, CBDC systems, and yes. people are going to pre prefer to use Bitcoin. And what's uh, so funny is that the people who are against Bitcoin the most are the people whom we or whom the rabble label globalists, but they're not actually globalists. Just like foreign aid is not actually foreign aid. Yeah, they, they are. Uh... <laughs> globalists when they themselves can earn by being globalists but at the same time they want they want to prevent the the wider populace from uh, from um, from benefiting from globalism because mm -hmm. of course globalism has a lot of positive sides like my wife is from ukraine i've been uh, all over the world you also nils we've been traveling a lot uh, that's thanks to globalism that we're able to do that Yes, and um, that is the new standard. That we standard can communicate, of, that yeah. we can trade with the rest of the world. That's a positive thing in my eyes. And that's uh, what my and, podcast is too. Like people in Australia and Canada listen to it. Like all of yeah. when we talk to others, that's a globalist sort of like, you know, project. Yes, exactly. And But the thing is that a small part of the population, call them the elite, has already benefited from globalism for like 100 years, you know, since the invention of the telegraph, basically. And a couple they, of thousand years, I would say. <laughs> yeah, you can you could say that they've been traveling around. So, so um, they've been all, already benefiting from globalism for a long time. And now we have come to a point or we came to this point maybe 20 years ago, where normal people also started to benefit from socialism no not from socialism globalism of course mm. so people can travel around the world the internet has made it possible to send uh to like communicate around the world for normal people and they had um, now the internet makes it possible to send through bitcoin to send money around the world and of course these a little group of people who have benefited the most from globalism they don't want everyone else also to benefit from it they are they need to keep people locked within the nation states within yes. the borders and tax them to death and inflate their wealth away through the use of uh, fiat currencies and implement and it, climate uh, lockdowns exactly so i see all this um Everything which is happening right now with uh, all this retardation is just, uh, I think it's the elite who are trying to like, keep control of the like nation states which are completely falling apart. But I yeah. think they will fail. Later. And they're absolutely panicking and uh, everyone can see that they're absolutely full of shit, for lack of a better word. Just It's just being outed. And then... You have loyalists who remain, who are very stubborn about this and who will not see any other view. And of course, they label everyone going against them as Nazis and whatever. And of course, there's certain Cointel Pro is a thing you can Google forces of the world who very much benefit from certain groups of people to, for instance, become white ethnocentric and start saying uh, all kinds of stuff about the Jews without ever stopping uh, in order to paint them a certain way. Yeah, they're undoubtedly trying to radicalize people. 
Yes, for their own benefits. Uh, and then the war goes online and remains online. Uh, but, you know, it's a spiritual battle as well. Um, <clears throat> I'm becoming more and more into Bitcoin myself. I've been into it since you told me about it. It's just that there are certain things I see about it where, like you said, the Great Reset is Bitcoin. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter to me like who is actually behind what uh, or why if <clears throat> it is a feasible way to... Well, at least, you know, you can store wealth uh, in a reliable fashion through some of the monkey hoops that they're sending people through right now. Um, <clears throat> it's just too bad that Norway has such a population that we do have. I don't really understand how we landed in this situation, but it's just kind of crazy. And you see a lot of the dissident and opponents and whatever sort of tied together with the canadian truckers they're these like uncharismatic people who go around and burn the quran and shout and push people around and they're just full full of hate you know and their iq is probably 85 <laughs> yeah. hello yeah that's uh, that's true um yeah one one thing i wanted to um which I, I thought you was going to ask about, which uh, I'm surprised you haven't, is uh, you know that Bitcoin has a lot of cult-like behavior. Yes. Um, and I would want to touch... Well, I, yeah, it's kind of funny that I have not touched on that. But yeah, definitely a lot of cult-like behavior. But we live in cult world, and I do consider the DARPA machinery to be the machinery that controls the entire world. Now, a lot of nation states such as China, they're fronting and getting their swords out and whatever, and they're gonna do this and they're gonna do that and with Putin. And then you have a lot of loyal subjects here in Norway who it's often these like nerds that I noticed in university a long time ago where they were always like, oh, but we can't stop China. And oh, we need to learn from China. Oh, we need to eat soy food or Slava Ukraini with, you know, Zelensky. And uh, yes, give them more rockets, give them more rocket systems, send us towards the nuke. Uh, none of this is obviously the solution to any of this. The solution is dialogue and transparency and truth itself. But back to what you're actually saying, yes, there is a lot of cult-like behavior and I wouldn't be too surprised if we suddenly land in a situation in which the Musk uh, DARPA machinery thing has Starlink and that's basically the only internet because they've destroyed everything else. Bitcoin is the only currency, but in order to get it, you need a chip. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah that it could be it could be so um as you as you ri rightly point out there's a health behavior in um, everywhere right now not only in bitcoin um but uh, i can explain the like psychology behind the bitcoin cult behavior yeah please so do. so you know, in the world, it's, things are going really to shit, which mm -hmm. are right now. There 
people will see some kind of community or that can really uh, grow into some kind of cult. And um, because uh, many Bitcoiners, like Bitcoiners is a, a term for people who like love Bitcoin. Um, so most Bitcoiners are very intelligent, uh, rationalistic and free-thinking non-conformists. Um, but all, like at their core, they're very nihilistic types. So they're people who have very little trust in anybody, anyone else than their own ability to like think rationally. Mm. And uh, a lot of them also don't believe in God and therefore they will easily fall into the trap of worshipping Bitcoin as some kind of sacred thing. But um, this is universal. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's why we have religion in the first place. Um, I remember <clears throat> for years I've been in several very uh, argumentative discussions. I used to be a sort of radical atheist myself back in the day. But then as I started to come back into the faith, I was greeted by a lot of people who said that religion is like the evil of the world and it's so corrupt. And it's true, but <clears throat> you can never find a functional society that does not have a religion that enjoys at least some amount of the populace engaging within the sort of sacred rights of that religion and also function. <clears throat> there doesn't exist a civilization in the world that is not religious. Um, mass spread atheism on a macro level and scientism always leads to collapse yeah yeah let, let, just look at the communists and the nazis uh, well the nazis uh, they had a lot of uh, spirituality in the form of occultism yeah that is true that. But yeah, like uh, like you say, that is uh, totally true. Sorry for sort of like hijacking it, but it's just very interesting. And I think it's a big part of the reason for why they are attacking religion in general uh, everywhere. Um, everything has to become mainlined into this sort of like viewpoint. And of course, in Norway, they have already cooked the Christians. And so uh, the next target is going to be the Muslims and a lot of people who consider themselves yeah. dissident are becoming helpful idiots in that regard because, uh, of course, there are a lot of like sort of extremist uh, Muslim communities who think that you know we should cut the heads off of people and whatever. Everyone knows that, but now they're sort of like saying that, oh, it's these conservative Muslims, we need to uh, sort of like fix them, you know, because yeah, they need absolutely. everyone to be demoralized, you know, that is communist demoralization. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, seeing that too, like, uh, I like to say the Christians already been been talked like many years ago, and uh, like, uh, Historically, like at least the last few years, uh, we have the left in the Norway and in the rest of Europe been kind of always trying to understand the Muslims. They've always been like um, apologetic towards them, even the like extremists. 
and they're mm. conservative Muslims. So they've always had like a much higher acceptance for the for the Muslims and uh, for the conservative Muslims and for the conservative Christians. Uh, but I see now with uh, like in the media that this is starting to to crumble. It's starting to change. Uh, for example, now with this Qatar uh, World mm. Cup in football. Like people in Norway are like going crazy because the the woman in Qatar needs to wear a hijab and all these things. Uh, yes. But they didn't. They, they didn't care about that like ten years. No, but they're hypocrites and they're uneducated. Uh, I see a, the most uneducated people that I see these like sort of crazy climatards going into a bunch of different things. They all have a master's degree, and many of them are teachers, but they know nothing about the world. If, yeah. uh, like, I can't expect most people to know this term, but like, I know, for instance, what Malthusianism is like the philosophy of Malthusianism, which is a social Darwinism combined with a certain form of elitism from the top down. Yeah, none of these people even know what that term is. They've never even heard it. Their horizon is so cut into like it, they have these horse blinders on that they have been given and they will fight tooth and nail to remain within the sphere because another thing psychologically about those people is that they have been taught and bred their entire life that they are the vanguard against the evil people, against the fascists, against the conservatives, against these groups of people. And they are really good people. They're nice. They are actually good people. It's just that they don't really understand. <laughs> but the yeah. thing is, when you try like to... Yeah. yeah, basically, and when you try to lead them to water, um, they refuse to take a sip out of it. Because if they had a sip of it, they would have to restructure their entire ideological background and a lot of their friendships and whatever. Uh, so it's like a chain link fence where you hold one belief and that's tied to all the other links in the fence. And if you take away one of them, it weakens the entire fence. And in addition, we have a pampered paper pushing public sector middle class in Norway. That is the bulk of our population. And those people are, of course, the same people who will rush to the defense of the structure that they rely upon for their living. Yeah, exactly. The way to, um, it's just the, the best way to get a lot of power as a government or as the government is just to inflate the public sector. Yes, it is. And uh, I'll talk to you longer unless you want to cut it short. I just got a message. Uh, my audience can know it was, uh, I was going to cut it short because I had a sort of like date with my wife, but my wife, you know, she's from the United States and, you know, all those Americans, they're so stupid. That's like a big thing here in Norway too that they like to talk a lot of smack shit about Americans. But like uh, whenever I have friends visiting from the United States and uh, friends of my wife and whatever, they're very successful, healthy looking and kind and decent and honest and intelligent people. 
yeah, it's the same with um, uh, with uh, my American co-workers. I work yeah. with a lot of them. They're so. very good people. They're very good people. And so, but that's the thing. It becomes this sort of like hissing thing because those people who are already demoralized because really what we're seeing, we're seeing the struggle between I mean, look, DARPA is behind most of what happens in the first place. And like when you talk about cults, that's something that interests me a lot. I'm in some of the most glowing Telegram groups on the entire internet. Uh, and I love to be there. <laughs> it's so funny because I see the narratives being pushed and whatever. Um, but that's how they will do it uh, to sort of like uh, incentivize everyone to like, hate the west and hate america just in general through this like hissing and then it's like i see actually a lot of the climatards too who um don't really understand like they want basically everyone to be enslaved but then when inflation happens at the same time and their teacher jobs they're not able to pay their mortgage anymore then they get sad but like they have supported it the entire time but i see a lot of them actually post regularly about how many school shootings there are in America because that is the entire point to like sort of like paint America because you have America that's like the military arm of the West and then you have uh, our heritage that's the Greek culture like all of this stuff that we are seeing and for instance in my theological faculty it has been nothing but liberation theology and Marxist theories disguised as a form of Christianity. Uh, but that's something that the KGB inv invented in, in the 80s, you know? And so it's like, uh, yeah, it's incredible to what an extent they've been allowed to place their feet inside of our whatever society. And they're just hissing, you know? <laughs> like snakes. Yes, like little snakes. But um, yeah, snakes. That's the same with the libertarian movement. Don't tread on me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's what I mean when I say that. Like most Bitcoin Bitcoiners are libertarians, and uh, when I when I describe them as very intelligent, you know, many libertarians are very intelligent, like really rationalistic, but they're also uh, very nihilistic types, you know. Yeah, it is a form of nihilism. And like I mentioned earlier, it is the fourth or fifth final manifestation of Marx's utopia. It is the abandonment yeah. of all standards. Yeah, they just uh, want to be left alone and don't tread on me. And I, if you tread on me, I will start hissing. I will bite you. I will bite you yeah. on the heel. Uh, but yeah... Anyway, thank you so much for uh, joining me tonight. Now suddenly I cut a short, short that was probably giving some of my listeners uh, an expectation of uh, this chat lasting longer. But uh, thank you so much for joining me tonight. It was great to do this in English. I'll do a short edit of the audio because of the middle section. And do you have anything uh, in conclusion that you would like to say to me or any potential listeners about Bitcoin in general or about the work you do perhaps or, you know? Yeah, I will uh, just say first, thank you for having me here. 
and uh, interesting discussion. Um, I think it's interesting to discuss Bitcoin with you because you're not only interested in like the the technical aspects of Bitcoin and how it how it works, but also like more in into the um, uh, how actually Bitcoin can fit into the world we live in right now, uh, which I think is really interesting to, to talk about. So yeah, thanks for having me. And if anyone wants to find me uh, to talk to me about Bitcoin or whatever, you can find me on Twitter. Um, my name is uh, J Melrud, like uh, on Twitter, uh, J M E L L E R U D. So you're welcome to follow me and uh, send me a message there. Grand and great. Uh, few of my listeners are actually on Twitter. It's kind of funny. I have like a spear that. So like most of my listeners are from Instagram and Telegram, but they should all get on Twitter anyway, even if it is a global digital marketing surveillance grid system. It's really funny in there. It's absolutely hilarious. And, uh, you know, with every new cope and every new seed, uh, your sides will harden up even more. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, thank you for joining me. That, it was awesome that you wanted to take the time to have this chat tonight. Uh, is it snowing up there in uh, in where you live now? Yeah, um, it's home? a lot of snow. I'm in uh, Boda, northern Oh, Norway. yeah. Lots That's where we got to know each other. Starts 23 hours a day. Oh, yeah. Incredible. It's uh, such a beautiful place. And uh, I also encourage everyone to... Uh, Come visit Norway. It's a good place before the climate hearts ruin everything. <laughs> and with that, thanks again. And uh, take care of yourselves at home. And uh, we'll talk later. Bye-bye. <laughs> Goodbye.